Welcome to Deep Pockets by Petra Söderling, a conversation about governments, technologies, and innovation. The ongoing season, winter 2023, is loosely based on my upcoming book, Governments and Innovation, The Economic Developer's Guide to Our Future. The book will be available for purchase in Amazon during Q1 2023. Our theme song is by New Orleans jazz icon Leroy Jones. Welcome back to Deep Pockets, this time to an episode on innovation and education. Estonia is one of those countries that not many people are too familiar with, but have some sort of neutral to positive awareness of. People working in technology or with startups know that Estonia is a real rock star. A country of 1.3 million people has so far produced 10 unicorn startups, including Skype and Pipedrive. They also launched a digital citizenship called e-residency. This is a government-issued digital identity that anyone in any country can acquire. It provides access to Estonia's transparent business environment, a new digital nation for the world. E-resident entrepreneurs from all over the world can start an EU-based company and manage business from anywhere entirely online. In fact, in t- 2022, an Estonian e-resident broke the world record for fastest company incorporation ever in the time of 15 minutes and 33 seconds. But this is not what we're focusing on today. I just wanted to give you a flavor of the country before digging into the real meat here, education. My guest today is Mart Aro, an education innovator, edtech creator, and keynote speaker. His long career in this field goes back to 2001, when he became a member of the board of the Estonian School Students' Councils Union, taking off from there through a number of international youth education programs and NGOs into the startup world, and eventually onto the big stages. Welcome to Deep Pocket Smart. Hello, it's a pleasure. So, as I said, my first instinct was to make an episode about Estonia, how it got to be uh, in the top positions in the United Nations PISA ranking uh, for math, science, and reading. Um, and I started to seek out to someone who knows something about this, and that was you. But as we had our prep talk, I was so inspired by your ideas, everything that you do, that I decided to change the topic altogether. So we're really not talking about Estonia that much today, but more about education. So let's start by answering the question, who is Mart Aro? So I am an education innovator and I've been uh, working on education development for, a, for, from my perspective, for a very long time. Uh, and uh, we've been doing indeed many different things, starting from large youth conferences uh, where we invite the, the best speakers possible to inspire young people in the secondary school level to find their path in life. Uh, we've published some books uh, in similar topics. We have um, uh, built a university admissions management platform to help young people to go to study abroad and, and uh, uh, to gain international experience through this. So uh, a lot of uh, different things have been done. From, from the recent years, my focus has been on empowering people that have ideas of how to make something better uh, in education. And... Um, And we started to discuss that 
there is quite a few different approaches for improving something in education and learning. And um, maybe let's uh, let's look at uh, some of them uh, just to just to have a better understanding. So one of the ways that um, I see people starting to work on educational development is uh, purely enthusiasm based. So people are coming together and thinking that, hey, let's make this better uh, in education. And um, uh, very often with this enthusiasm, uh, really cool stuff uh, is being uh, made. Uh, but uh, what I see uh, far too often also is that, unfortunately, our societal agreement is that uh, we all have to pay our bills and uh, buy food for our families. So um, sometimes um, or, or very often uh, these teams end up uh, with a situation where they understand that, hey, I cannot contribute anymore into this uh, education project here. I need to go to do some real work uh, to uh, pay my bills. Mm. So then... You come to the second most common, probably uh, most common option, which is what we call grant-based uh, innovation of education, where uh, large organizations or governments are giving out funding to teams that uh, would like to improve something in education. And uh, the challenge with uh, this approach is that um, education innovation usually is uh, more complicated than you can imagine. And uh, what I see is that very often the teams that are starting to work on something in education development, uh, they will get to results where kids or teachers love the solutions because this is the goal. This should be the goal that we make so good uh, improvements in education that pe people love to use them or love to take advantage of these opportunities. And um, it can take four or five years easily to get to this kind of level where people love this solution. And unfortunately, the grant funding uh, very often is uh, one year uh, or maximum three years. And also, it's very difficult to predict exactly how much money you need, uh, what kind of team exactly you need before you start to work on, on the initiative. So um, what happens very often with grant-based uh, uh, projects is that... Um, they uh, end up in the we, colleague from the education of uh, the Ministry of Education in Estonia phrased it, um, coined it, the graveyard of project. So, oh, wow. So, yeah. And, and unfortunately, there is very little impact in the quality of education. If uh, somebody is putting a lot of work in developing a project, but uh, it doesn't reach to the students because it runs out of cash before it has a possibility to have a significant impact on the on, on the learner's level. This is what I'm actually focusing on a lot to see, are we actually getting some kind of quality difference from the learner's perspective? And then there is, let's say, the newest approach is um, what I like to call the startup model for innovating education. And uh, this is happening this way, that uh, people come together, again, enthusiasm-based, but uh, they straight away think that, hey, Maybe we could build something scalable and sustainable at the same time that will have an improvement in the quality of learning uh, or, or, or supporting teachers or supporting schools. And, um, and basically, these two principles are worth special introduction. So this, the principle of scalability means that um, it's okay to start from one classroom or from one, one student uh, to develop a new way of learning. Uh, or teaching for them. For example, very often I'm bringing this uh, idea of uh, having a special methodology for teaching hyperactive children how to learn multiplication table. Oh, so wow. you can easily imagine that this is a problem that almost all math teachers have. They have very active kids 
uh, and uh, they might benefit from having a special methodology to support these children. But um, now the question is, is there somebody there who would be willing to come up with a very good solution or a new methodology to do this? And probably there is, if we look at the whole world. And now the principle of scalability uh, means that we, if we come to a good solution, then we can give it out also to other people, not only to our uh, children in, in this one school. So the neighboring school in the neighbor, neighboring uh, village might also benefit from this solution. Or maybe the school from the other side of the world might also benefit from this new methodology. So, um, And if we keep this in mind straight away from the beginning, when we start working on a new initiative, it's very likely that this is going to be possible later to um, use this solution by other people. The second principle is um, principle of sustainability, which uh, at its minimum means that um, when we start to build a new innovation in education, uh, then we would keep in mind that at one moment in time, let's say in two, three, four years, um, we will become financially self-sustainable. So we'll we'll have enough income that we can pay fair salaries to the, the people that we need to uh, maintain a high quality service. And why I want to stress the high quality here because I see far too many solutions in education that are average quality. And then my question is, do we actually, as parents, want average quality education opportunities for our children? And the answer is definitely no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. We, we want the best yeah. quality possible. And I can assure you that with using digital opportunities for scaling these new innovations and methodologies, it is possible to provide super high quality personalized learning opportunities to absolutely every child uh, in the world. Actually, already today, it would be possible we just need to start systematically uh, working around making sure that people that have these amazing ideas of how to make education better would be empowered to make these uh, ideas into tangible solutions for, for learners and teachers to benefit. Okay, you are very, very humble because uh, my question was about you. How did you become you? And you immediately just jumped into the solutions and the problems and the education part. So. Clearly, you are very uh, motivation-driven. You are enthusiastic. You described the three models, and one of them is the uh, enthusiasm-driven model where people just love this topic, and apparently um, you are one of those people. Um, I want to continue on the startup, on this the scalable um, ed tech. So I'm assuming you're talking about technical solutions in the startup world, and if they are VC-funded, if they are risk investment funded, who is the paying customer? And the reason why I'm asking is, whenever I uh, am mentoring startup companies, if they have a business model where their paying customer is a highly regulated bureaucratic organization, I kind of get (laughs) nervous. I'm not sure if that's a great business model. So how do you reconcile this? This is a really good question. And um, I would really want to stress that technology here is just a tool. And Actually, what I'm usually liking to talk about is um, is a bunch of different things around uh, education and learning, and starting from the philosophy of learning, uh, how we approach education at, at all. And uh, I would argue that uh, nowadays we are having the approach of, um, let's say, essentialism-based philosophy, which means that uh, we are teaching children from basically top down. Uh, so we know what's best for the children. 
and uh, the, ch- the kids themselves don't really know what is good for them. And this approach is very much challenged by um, what I call, uh, or well, it's actually the official name, it's a democratic education uh, movement. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, and now democratic education is uh, looking at the aspect that um, it's, um, it's uh, possible to in- indeed involve children in decision-making uh, about um, what and how and when uh, they should study and how it is the most effective for them. Yes, so technology is uh, uh, just a tool to achieve the scalability of uh, these innovations because when we develop a new methodology for teaching or learning uh, something, then the question is how to convey this methodology in the most effective way to the ones in need. And um, technology can be a really tremendous asset there. For example, we can record videos to to explainers uh, about things. And uh, actually, this could be the only technical part of uh, the whole methodology, just to have explainer videos of how to use this methodology to achieve a great result. And um, uh, because what we can see is that if you have a, a very good methodology, but you are using it wrongly, you're not using it correctly enough to achieve the good results that uh, this methodology is meant to provide you, then um, uh, you might come out with a poorer outcome than with using a poor quality methodology that you are very familiar with. So answering your question now from the startup side and VC funding side, uh, then indeed today the current ecosystem for education isn't foreseeing the possibility that we would have small innovative teams working on new ways of of developing something about education. So the ecosystem hasn't foreseen a place for for this to happen. And and actually, this is only possible that we have these innovative teams thanks to new technologies uh, that are coming out there. I need to correct myself. Some things you can do also without the technologies, but the technology uh, often helps. So... Together with the Estonian Ministry of Education, we have um, we have noticed this um, that uh, there is these new opportunities out there uh, that we can empower individual innovators to um, come up with better ways of um, of uh, learning or teaching or uh, supporting the school system or also supporting the specialists in the education system. For example, uh, supporting the speech therapists or school psychologists uh, or mm-hmm. people like this. And there is really amazing solutions also coming out in in all of these uh, niches that as a normal parent, you might never think about that there is even a need for for this kind of uh, solution out there. But uh, indeed, what I'm seeing is that the current way that school systems are purchasing solutions are not really effective in supporting innovators. And this is a big um, topic that uh, we we have been working on, and I hope that uh, there will be solutions tested out or piloted in some countries across uh, Europe and maybe also beyond. Could it be the parents paying for it? Well, in today's context, um, the innovators in education need to be super innovative also when it comes to business models developed. So I've, I've seen very unusual business models being developed to um, to come up with a, a better quality learning opportunity for the children. And in, indeed, it could be parents, it could be some other stakeholders. Last time we discussed, I brought the example of Kahoot, uh, where the, the main customer or the paying customer is actually uh, corporations. 
that uh, use this uh, learning yeah. solution to do corporate training. And actually, from there, I think 90% of the income of the company is coming. And actually, the main user of the solution are teachers who pay almost nothing or uh, like a small free. So there, I believe they have premium model. I haven't checked in the recent years. In the beginning, it was totally for free for, for teachers. That's fantastic. Um, I want to ask you, so you mentioned the democratic education method, methodology. Um, you're also a co-founder of Nordic EdTech Forum. Nate, N8, how do you... N8, yes. N8, uh, that's a Nordic forum. And when you said democratic education methodology, that sounds very Nordic to me. Are you guys talking in the, the forum, the innovators in education? Are you talking about these methodologies there? So the democratic education is a philosophy or how we view learning at all and um, what kind of right uh, the students or the teachers have and, and what we are expecting from the teachers and learners. And um, uh, according to my knowledge, there indeed have been historically uh, Northern Europeans, actually an Estonian gentleman in the 1920s was uh, also contributing to the democratic education development. So it's a, it's more than a hundred years old movement actually in education development. Oh, uh, But it has not uh, been very popularized because um, I believe in the industrial era, the current education system uh, worked uh, very well and it provided the uh, wealth of the nations that we see today. So I always write, like to remind, remind people that the industrial it, uh, system has been super beneficial for, for the countries and, and also for the average person, because today the average person is obviously living a better life than a king in the Middle Ages because of access to a wealth of different services and, yeah, of course, uh, medicine being probably the most critical of them that enables people to have a much more fulfilling life. And of course, I hope that people remind themselves to be thankful uh, and grateful about these uh, things. That's a good point. Going to the Nordic EdTech Forum. So this was this is an association of innovators in, in education in the Northern Europe. And uh, we have people from eight countries, mostly who are founders of uh, startups in education. And uh, this was the first organization that um, I co-founded for uh, supporting the, uh, the innovators in education. And the reason was very simple. At this time, in 2016, uh, we didn't have really an opportunity to uh, meet that easily across the country borders. And uh, in smaller countries, there was very few teams that uh, were working based on the startup model uh, in education development. And... Um, what it looked like was more like people sitting in dark rooms themselves and trying to <laughs> make something better in education. But it became very clear that um, if you're able to meet with like-minded people and share your ideas, kind of beautiful cross-pollination happens and uh, actually the quality of ideas uh, is becoming better and uh, the hope of getting better quality solutions for teachers and, and learners is also increasing. So having this kind of um, associations, which really main goal is to bring the stakeholders together and, and make friends and, and start peer-to-peer -peer mentor each other, then this, this has a very positive uh, impact. And I also feel that it becomes kind of... So if you're working on a hard challenge and, and you're struggling day on and, and, and then it's really nice to meet with people sometimes that have chosen to work with similarly hard challenges 
and then at least you can complain to each other about about <laughs> how up everything is and yeah yeah support each other in in this sense it's such an important job that you're doing um my final question is you're in on your own startup the dream apply tell us how that got started what you guys are doing there so the dream apply is the mission of enabling access to high quality education to everybody globally as well and the dream was for me so i've always been in looking at how can we increase the quality of learning quality of education and i did an internship in 2002 in belgium and on the road back from there to estonia i was like wow every young person should have this opportunity to go uh, abroad and and learn something and mm. because it's just massively broadening your horizons when you're doing that as a young person because in addition to just learning the uh, academic things that you're also having this massive cultural learning experience and what i still remember very clearly was that i was thinking that i will learn about uh, belgian culture and i will learn french language when i when i was starting to go to this internship but I actually learned about Estonian culture and understood oh. much better context that I'm coming from and how differently we see the world actually. Well, it, the difference is all in the details because the countries obviously are pretty similar, but this there is so many of these details where the, these minor differences are very interesting to, to see this. And I believe it's very crucial, especially to Americans who are, who are your main listeners, that how important it is to go out and to see the world and, and to see that mm -hmm. actually a, a large part of the world is m maybe even having a better life quality than, than the US. So this uh, inspired me that we, we need to start company to uh, support uh, this, this dream of, of young people going to study abroad. And that's why the name of the company is called Dream Apply. So it started from a very small dream and nowadays we are supporting uh, millions of young people with um, having a more transparent uh, way of of, uh, of looking at universities pretty globally. So DreamApply is implemented by more than 300 universities from across 40 different countries. And and it's amazing. For example, it might be very difficult to believe for, for American students or parents that in Europe there is quite a few countries where you can study almost for free or or absolutely for free yes uh, for example you can get yeah. a very high level and and recognized education in estonia paying only i don't know four five six thousand euros a year for the whole education so um so compared to the american pricing it is almost for for free Watch out, you're going to have an avalanche of American students coming to Estonia after this. I believe that the Estonian universities will be happy to take a few Americans. Uh, not too many probably, but a few hundred for sure. But Estonia is only one example. There is very many of these uh, opportunities out there. Uh, and because there is, uh, the universities in Europe don't market themselves very much. And uh, hence, it's very important that we would improve the quality of the, the let's say, the processes for admissions. And, and that's what uh, was exactly our dream, that uh, we will make it so understandable 
I can, of course, explain the whole backstory there. Uh, it's uh, it, it can be a little bit strange for people that have never uh, looked at university admissions. But, for example, in each university, there is usually three or four different regulations that they have to follow for international students' admissions. So there is uh, the, in Europe, we have European Union candidates, then we have the local candidates, then we have friendly countries candidates, and then we have the other, the rest of the world. And each of these candidates have to follow diff- a little bit different regulations. And it can be really overwhelming as a young person, if you're like 17, 18, maybe 19 years old, and considering to go to a foreign country, you have no idea what's expected, uh, what, what you can expect there. And, and, and then you have this university websites that have you overloaded with information of which most of is not relevant for you at all. Mm-hmm. And then to make the difference, okay, mm-hmm. what, what rules I have to follow now here? And Dreamapply magically makes it all very streamlined and, and clear and, and offers the information in kind of reasonable packages at reasonable time. So that's one of the reasons why, uh, why, for example, I've met students on the street who said that, hey, Mark, I'm really thankful that you bothered to, to build this uh, software with your team because it was making it possible for me to understand how I can actually enter these universities. And because of the transparency of the admission process, I'm here now. And I'm super happy for this. Uh, and some students have been so inspired that they have written their master's thesis about how DreamApply is, is helping the, the students from less uh, fortunate families to actually have access to super, super good quality education. Such important job you're doing. This is truly wonderful. Mart Aro, thank you for joining Deep Pockets today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. You've listened to Deep Pockets by Petro Söderling. To subscribe to content and to pre-order the book Governments and Innovation, The Economic Developer's Guide to Our Future, please go to petrasoderling.com. The wonderful music you heard is by Leroy Jones, an iconic New Orleans Jazz Hall of Fame trumpetist. You can find this and other Leroy Jones tunes at your favorite online or offline music store. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe, like, rate, and share our episodes. It means a lot to me. Thank you.